Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for hitting that play button for another episode of the Hattie Coleman podcast where I sit down with fabulous people to have go win conversations. Go win is being consistent in doing the right things that allow for you to achieve the wins that you defined for your life or organization or business so that you can live out your greatest story. And so there's three things that I love to see happen out of uh, these conversations. I love to see you learn from them. Love to see you be inspired by them. And I love to see community happen. You connecting with uh, my guests uh, around whatever it may be. I don't know what it may be. It may be that y'all both like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But however we can connect y'all into the same community uh, would be awesome. And so uh, today, today, ladies and gentlemen, I have one of the most consistent people in a sense of just hitting me up periodically with an em- encouraging text message to make me smile I love to see him on social media with his family. There's always a great pick uh, when it comes to him and his family out doing things. He's a shaker and mover. Uh, I love his heart for community and and the different things that I've been able to see him connected to over uh, the last few years of me knowing him. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, give it up right now. Get your hands together. Give it up. You see him, ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching on YouTube. You see him. Let's get a close-up. Let me find his. There he is right there, ladies and gentlemen, Jefferson Kilgore. Jefferson, what's up, man? Man, it's it's Friday. I'm wearing Red Sox because I want to be like you when I grow up. I'm happy to be in Guthrie, America. I enjoyed the drive to Guthrie, America. Nice. Just blessed to spend time with with good people and good intentions. Now, you said you didn't come down I-35. For those of you who – so Guthrie is just north of Oklahoma City. Uh, home of the Thunder. Uh, most people, when they come to Guthrie, uh, it's about a 25-minute, 30-minute drive, depending on where you're coming from, come down I-35, but not Jefferson. No, sir. You took the back roads. I took the back roads, and I enjoyed it, and it was convenient, and I'm glad I did. Uh, it was not intentional to take the back roads, but logistically speaking, I made a right-hand turn north on Highway 74, and uh, went north for about 20 minutes, and then I made a right-hand turn on 33, and it was two-lane roads and big tractor uh, tractor trailers and trucks, and it was nice to just not feel like you were on another I-35 interstate. It felt like you were intentional with your drive. It felt like you were coming to a community, which yeah. I got to drive in through the heart of Guthrie yeah. and see the red brick roads Come and on. see the historical just essence of being part of Oklahoma, so... Uh, that accidental drive was uh, was good for the soul, and I'll, I'll take the long way home. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do that because I'm telling you, uh, it, it, it's something peaceful about coming the back way, too. Like just seeing the the, the open fields, uh, getting stuck behind a tractor. Did you get stuck? Or diesels or big trucks coming down? A couple down? of big trucks, and then one guy, he wanted to pass me, and there wasn't – he wanted to. He was going to pass me, so I just moved my little Subaru out of the way and let him – Motor on up the road. But I think it kind of plugs into you and I were chopping it up yesterday on a phone call. And uh, I avoided using the word busy. Mm-hmm. And I think when you take the interstate, you find yourself being busy because you're in a hurry to get there because that's the quickest way that I can get to the next thing. Yeah. And, you know, certainly not an intentional anecdote, but by taking Highway 74, it didn't feel so busy. It felt like you were enjoying the drive. Yeah. And and f- for me, that's one of the reasons I live in Guthrie America is because I, I like it slow. And if I want busy, the cool thing is Oklahoma City, not busy. If you want activity, you you want to see people honking and you want some traffic in your life and all that, I just go down to Oklahoma City and get it. But uh, I enjoy uh, both, but I really love small town living and uh, there's nothing like it. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you're getting to experience it today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, why don't we do this? T- tell me. I, I love to ask this question if, if, whenever I get a chance to sit down with somebody. First, let's start this. How, how do we know each other? What What was our original connection? Well, I think the word that you and I both love because it's so part of who we are is community. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the first time I heard about Hetty before I met Hetty was I walked into our buddy Vernon D's shop. He used to have one that was down, I think, off like Penn and maybe, I don't know, 18th or something like that. And I was just walking in to, you know, hang out, spend some time with him, maybe buy a couple of cool shirts. 
And he was on the phone and you could tell that he was in like a really meaningful conversation. And when he goes to hang up the phone, he said, all right, bro, love you. Go win. And I'm like, who hangs up the phone by saying go win? And then he kind of uncovered the story of your all's relationship and mentorship. And then fast forward, probably six months later, I walked into North Church off Memorial in Oklahoma City and you were greeting people as you do. Uh, not just holding doors open, but holding hearts open with a big warm smile. And I was like, this is the guy that was on the phone with my buddy six months ago. Um, and that was an event that our mutual friend, Jeff Cato, had invited me to. So okay. I don't even remember what was discussed, no but it was telling. over lunch and it was the day I finally got to meet you. That's super uh, And cool. then our, our relationships have commuted, continued to kind of overlap through just a lot of different social circles and yeah. intentional hearts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Um Tell me, how do people describe Jefferson who knew you as a kid? Oh, man. As a kid, um, just outgoing, uh, always busy, always active, probably not known by my grades, but they were pretty darn good. Um, loved playing sports. And I think I say love playing sports because I'm now in that season where I'm watching my kids play sports. Um, so, you know, had, had a really close knit group of friends through elementary school and middle school, uh, moved from the heart of Oklahoma city out to Deer Creek before Deer Creek was a large school. Uh, when I was there initially in the eighth grade, you still had a stop sign every other mile. Um, the only thing that was in the school district of Deer Creek that wasn't the school itself was a general store that was so old, it still had a, a dirt floor in the back corner yeah. um, and wood planks everywhere else. But now it went from when I was there 20 plus years ago as a two-way school to you know a thriving six-way school that doesn't look like it's going to get any smaller anytime soon. So yeah, that's crazy. Um, I think that circle of friends that I surrounded myself with carried a lot of similar traits as far as outgoing, energetic, active, um, you know, probably a little whimsical, uh, probably a little bit of mischief, uh, sprinkled all over a whole lot of honorary, but, mm-hmm. um, those, those friendships were meaningful and most of them still hold true till today. So. Yeah. That's super cool. Uh, tell, tell me, so did, what kind of personality would they, would, do you think that they would say like, were you mischievous? Were you, uh, outgoing, funny, all of the above, all, <laughs> all of the above, um, <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, at the at the heart of it, whether I was in the classroom or the wrestling mat or the baseball field, like there was still like a work ethic that okay. was you're a grinder. You know, it was at the heart of it. Like, but it was fun. Like yeah. um wrestling practice was hard, but it was fun. Uh school was relatively easy, but I made it fun. Mm. Um and I don't think I did that like intentionally. Like I didn't wake up and write the word, you know, fun on my dry erase board and say, it's gonna be a fun one. Um, but I think that my parents introduced that element. Like you should always enjoy what you're doing. So whether that's drawing cartoons all over the, you know, homework assignment I shouldn't have drawn on, still fun. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about uh, the middle school, Jefferson. Was there anything that uh, stood out to you in middle school? So when I went to Oklahoma City Public Schools, it was K through four. And then it was supposed to be a fifth, sixth grade center. But then it was in one of those seasons where they kept changing things. So I think I went to Hoover Middle School when it was a fifth, sixth grade center. Mm-hmm. I think I went there when it was a sixth, seventh, eighth grade center. And then as an eighth grader, uh, that's when my parents had moved from you know the heart of Oklahoma City out to Deer Creek. My dad always wanted a little bit of land and a horse. Uh, he got the land and 25 years later, we still don't have a horse. But um, that transition of being in a middle school that had over 750 students, 70, I want to say 72 or 73% of which were quote unquote minority students. Um, it was home. It's all I'd ever known being in a community that big and then getting plucked out of that and dropped in Deer Creek where I was one of, you know, 90 students in my eighth grade class felt very different. Mm. Um, you had a lot of kids that had gone to Deer Creek K through 12, And there weren't a whole lot of new faces, but as an eighth grader, I was a new face. My brother and sister are twins. They're two years younger than I, my brother and I were pretty decent little wrestlers and we were quickly identified as like, Oh yeah, the Kilgore brothers, they're really good wrestlers. Gotcha. Um, what was the age difference between, uh, you and your brother? We're two years and two months apart. Okay. They were born on statehood day. Okay. November 16th. Um, so yeah, they're, uh, and my brother and my sister to this day are 
two of my very best friends. That's cool. Outside of my marriage. Yeah. Um, so we also really value that. Um, yeah. But to get identified, and we didn't know that we were being identified as, oh, yeah, the, the Kilgore brothers, they're really good wrestlers. Yeah. It was kind of like our second last name. Um, but it was what allowed us to like move into a new smaller community with much more ease because we were identified by, I hate to say we were identified by our value, but they knew that's what was going to be part of our place yeah. in a smaller school district. Got you. So middle school, you were a wrestler. That's when you kind of moved out to Deer Creek. Yep. Went from big school to small school. Uh, still got this work ethic, kind of become known as the the wrestlers, kind of people. Going to high school, um, what was high school like for you? What, what was the big – did you have a big learning lesson in high school that kind of changed the way you think or started doing things? Um. I love that you say big learning lesson, and I'm going to take it two grades back. Okay. Uh, maybe as part of that uh, difficult personality that was a little ornery at times, uh, I was in the sixth grade, and I had a teacher who will not be named today, but uh, she and I did not get along, and we did not see eye to eye. But my dad said, hey, you've got to know who the boss is, what the boss wants, and how to give it to him. And that lesson of those three rules of who the boss is, what the boss wants, and how to give it to him completely has carried through mm. to my day as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, that was a really big learning lesson. And it was a difficult learning lesson because I thought that I should be able to act a fool in this teacher's class and still make the good grades with no disciplinary consequences. Um, but then you move to Deer Creek and you have an eighth grade teacher that also may not see uh, your charisma as being a value add in the classroom but you look at that same eighth grade teacher and you're like, okay, I know the rules. I know who the boss is and I know what she wants and I'm going to provide her with the answer that she wants. Yeah. So um, going into high school, it I hate to say it was easy, but it wasn't difficult. Um, I, like every other you know, eighth grader in 1995, can tell you exactly where I was when the Murr bombing happened mm. and that made an impact. Um I remember that, you know, we had a baseball game that afternoon and I remember that uh, the Oklahoma Blood Institute was taking donations at the high school that day, coincidentally. And I remember coming back from the baseball game and the line for the blood drive still being a mile long. Um, so I think we all have like those events. But as far as like school, it was fun. We had a good time. The classwork wasn't too challenging. You just you just did what was next. Yeah. And high school was just you went from football season to wrestling season to baseball season to, you know, work all summer long and um you put in your time and then you do what's next. Yeah. So okay, so you high school seemed to be pretty easy for you, played the sports, did did the common stuff, right? Sure. Get ready to graduate. What was on your mind? What were you thinking? Where, where did you go? I thought I was gonna go wrestle. Um Partly because I thought I was supposed to, and partly because I just love the sport of wrestling. Um, it was a lot of fun. I had, you know, a reasonable amount of success. Um, I'd qualified for state a couple of times. I had a lot of momentum going into my senior year, and I think I was I was in the semifinals of the regional tournament. Top four at regionals moved on to state at that time, and I went up against a really hard kid. Uh, he was younger than me, but he was, he was solid. And I ended up hyperextending my elbow, mm. not really sleeping all night long. And then not wrestling particularly well <laughs> on, on Saturday. So I didn't qualify for state my senior year. And I kind of took that as like God's encouragement to say, Hey, just go to school and have a good time. Yeah. Um, you don't have to go to college and wrestle. Uh, I'd looked at a couple of schools, not to say that there was a lot of interest, but could have maybe found an opportunity to wrestle at the division two or three level. Um, but my heart wasn't in it in the same capacity, took a little injury and said, Hey, God's saying, go to, go to college and have fun. Um, went to Stillwater America, uh, wasn't sure what I was supposed to study, but knew I was supposed to go to college. Um, got a degree in recreation management, throwing Frisbees and hacky sacks, uh, met a pretty <laughs> lady from Kansas city, America, talked her into a couple of dates and, and eventually marriage. So, Oh, wait, know, wait, wait a second. So, so you met your wife in, in college? Yep. In Stillwater. Okay. So I joked that like, yeah, I went to Stillwater. I got a wife and a diploma. So <laughs> I like them both. Yeah. It, what y'all meet at? Like, good reason what? to cheer. Well, um, tell so me even, about that day. So even though my degree was in recreation management, 
uh, I was taking like all the kind of higher educational classes as far as like even master and doctorate level classes because I enjoyed the process of learning in that challenge. I had to have a quote unquote uh, like recreational class that, you know, whether it was golf or bowling or whatever, I sign up for rock climbing. My rock climbing class had homework, which means you went to the climbing gym. There was this cute little lady from Kansas City that worked at the climbing gym. Oh. I noticed that she worked on Thursday nights. I did all of my homework at the climbing gym on Thursday nights. She was killing the gym, right? Yeah, I, every <laughs> Thursday night. And then I was like, well, if she has to be here and I need to be here. And it's uh, a win. Yes, it was a big win. And she gave me her phone number and long, uh, uh, it took me a month or two to be like, oh, I'm supposed to call her. Like, that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how that unfolded. Oh, okay. Tell me about uh, the first time you called. Do you remember? Yes, and we both do. Uh, I officiated wrestling. That was like my job, if you want to call it a job. It was typically wrestling. You would officiate Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So it kind of kept me out of trouble on Thursdays, yeah. Fridays, and Saturdays. So I'm leaving town on a Thursday night on 51, headed westbound, and I look on the right-hand side of this two-lane highway, and there's this girl who'd given me her phone number. And I'm like, now's... Now's when I'm supposed to call her. So I called her on my cell phone, driving past her on, on Highway 51. Oh, my goodness. And I think she was like, what took you so long? Oh, really? Well, it, it took me a little while. So I called her. And then, you know, the rest 17 is years and seven days the, later, here we the are. The rest is history. Okay, wait. Let's not go too deep. That. First, let me go back real quick. Tell me about your dad. Tell, oh. cause you, you've mentioned him several times. Sounds like he's giving you some really – good nuggets to live by. You and I talked about him before sure. we started recording him being in education, the impact he's made on some folks. Tell, tell me about your dad and what he means to you. I don't think you can talk about my dad without talking about my mom um, because they have a beautiful relationship and they've modeled that for my brother, sister and I a lifetime. Um, they weren't high school sweethearts, but they went to high school together. And then they also went to Oklahoma State and got married and three kids and 40 plus years later, here we are. Um, but both my parents are in, uh, were in public education for a combined 75 plus years. Um, they taught me my work ethic. They taught us uh, the value of friendship as much as anything. Uh, they taught us, you know, uh, the value of a relationship with Christ and showing up to church on not just Sundays, but church in your home and church at your friend's house and church at a young life event or FCA or whatever comes between. So, um, I, I struggle to talk about myself without talking about my parents because I know they created the environment, mm -hmm. the opportunity, um, you know, to, to be where I am today in all capacities. And my brother and sister would quickly sing the same song in a different tune. Yeah. Yeah. Do, what is it that you, uh, remember, I know you. He gave you the kind of the, the person in charge, the person in charge kind of sure. thing, right? What else do you feel like you've taken from your dad? And I and I want to still kind of come back to to your seventeen years of marriage, sure. like the day you asked, what does that look like? What's been great about your marriage? I want to ask all those things, but let, I, I want to make sure that I get into this this fathering thing if we if we can. What are some other things that you feel like you've taken from your dad? And now that you're a father of how many? Three. Three. Your father of three, been married to this great woman. So I know that probably treating your wife really good, now that's an assumption because I'm sure you learned that from your dad. Sure. What are some things that you've taken from your dad that you've carried over into being a father? Things that I've learned from my father that I've carried over into my own role as a yeah, father? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, modeling good behaviors. And sometimes those things are, as you say, consistent or, as I might say, intentional. Um, but doing those things and serving others just comes naturally. Um, you mentioned that I have a gift for sending text messages of encouragement. Mm. Um, I think God just puts those on my heart. Like, I don't have a to-do list of got to call Hetty, got to call Trey, got to call Ben. Oh, wait, don't forget. I, I haven't heard from Trent in a little while. Don't forget about Scott or P. Like, no, those are just people that are on my heart and I care about them. And I think that my father modeled those same behaviors of serving others, whether that was as a high school wrestling coach or whether that was as leading youth groups and ski trips for the FCA. Uh, 
I looked at the circle of friends that my parents have around them. And those are people that just show up by caring. Mm -hmm. So it's not like my dad sat me down, slid me a cup of coffee and said, okay, these are the cornerstones to being mm -hmm. a good husband. These are the ingredients to being a good father. I just saw him serve our family and it seemed like the next right thing without having a playbook, even though he'd etched that playbook on my heart, co-authored by my mother the entire time. Mm, that's really good. Do you, when you when you think about you watching your father serve you all and serve his wife sure. and his community, uh, oftentimes when we see somebody doing something, there has to be something that we like, oh, that was good. So I definitely want to take, take that on. What are some things that you saw in him insert? Because before before we jumped on, you talked about a mutual friend that we have, Pete. Sure. Who was like, tell us about how you hear other people talk about your dad and his serving them. It could be your mom. Like your mom might be having some sweet things to say about him. Oh, I'm sure mom's got all sorts of sweet <laughs> things to say. Um, like I tell the story that like I would be recognized. Kilgore is a relatively unique last name. Uh, even fewer people will spell it with two L's in the last name. So I would meet somebody like Mr. Pete, completely unbeknownst to to me, he already knew who my father was. Um, so I was serving in the role of community outreach for Sandridge Energy. We were doing some uh, just community volunteerism at what was then FD Moon Elementary School. Mm -hmm. Have this amazing meeting with this gentleman who I'm meeting for the first time. You know, we shake hands go our separate ways. And as I'm walking out the door, I hear what I've heard so many times before. Hey, Kilgore, uh, are you coach Kilgore's son? And absolutely. Like I am so honored to be identified by my father's last name because they don't ask that if it was a bad That's thing. Right. They only <laughs> ask that if they liked my dad or their yeah, experience as a student yeah. was a good thing. No, so, true. and they're quick to not just say, Oh yeah, I had him in history when I was a ninth grader or he was my wrestling coach in, you know, 1993 or fill in the blank, they say, this is when I first met your father and this is the impact he has had on my life mm, indefinitely. Good. Yeah. So seeing that sense of service uh, as a teacher, as a coach, as a friend, I saw the way that he showed up for people and the way that my mom shows up for her circle of friends. Um, if there is a need or a concern, you know that that need or concern is on my mother's heart. And that she joins you in prayer. And knowing that I was going to get to have the opportunity to share time with you today, I was just being intentional about thinking about the role of fatherhood. A good buddy that I used to work with named Corey, he and I got to have lunch together for the first time in a long time yesterday. We spent as much time talking about our kids as we did anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I care about how he's doing in work. Yes, I'm excited that he's you know, selling his house and moving on to a new opportunity. But the last thing that I said to him was, hey, Corey, I'll be praying for CJ. And he instantaneously responds, and I'll be praying for Cadell. And not just in the general sense, but like Corey knows why I'm praying for CJ. And I know that Corey is praying for Cadell for his own specific reasons. So I absolutely saw that in my father and the way that he surrounded our family with other encouragers and other mentors, other disciplers. And I think that I am absolutely, A, taking that from my father's yeah. playbook, but it's also part of the community that I'm part of now at church where we say everyone should be a mentor and everyone should have a mentor because it goes both directions. And in that generational sense that I used to mentor 16-year-old Chase, who's now 25, and 25-year-old Chase is now mentoring 10-year-old Cadell, you see that that investment in community pays infinite dividends just because you show up and care. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. Tell, tell me, um, man, I love that. I love the, this idea. One of my favorite books that I think has probably had the greatest impact on me is called Improving Your Serve by Charles Swindle. And so that's when I read that, I don't know how many years ago that was, that was the book that really spoke to me in the sense of the power of serving other people. There, there's also a book by John Maxwell called Winning with People, that was another highlight of really um, the importance of just really being there for people and, and what that looks like. 
uh, it's cool to hear you talk about your dad in this way. Guy seems like I want. I would love to just sit down with pick pick his brain as well. Carried over into your life. I've seen you be intentional about investing in other people. Your kids are the world to you. I've seen. I mean, in the sense of like the story that I've seen on Instagram, sure. right? Is that's the case that it seems? Tell me about your kids and what you love about being a father. As much as you want to, you know, you know, you may not want to tell a whole bunch, but just talk about I'll, your I'll, love of being a father. I'll, I'll tell all the things because they're all good things, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I met a guy a couple weeks ago. And he goes, I don't, I don't tell bad stories, and it's not that he doesn't have bad stories, stories to tell. He just doesn't want to perpetuate those. Uh-huh. He doesn't want to put those out into the world, and he didn't see the benefit in telling bad stories. Um, the first thing I think I would share about my kids is they are all uniquely and individually their own little selves. Whether you're eight, 10 or 12, uh, in the sequence of girl, boy, girl, um, they have their own interests. They have their own, uh, just zest and, and zeal for life. Uh, the 12 year old right now is about to be 13 next month and she just loves making you laugh. Uh, she loves being a little zany and whimsical herself. Um, but you can just tell how much joy she experiences by seeing that you're enjoying her personality and whether that's, you know, making meals and pancakes for everyone on a Saturday or doing a silly dance when we're at the orthopedics office last week, cause she broke her toe on the first day of summer. She just enjoys watching you spend that time together. Time is a huge love language for her. Um, man, my son is so much like me that it hurts. Um, because his empathy is real and his sincerity is real, but I, you know, watched him cut up with all of his baseball buddies yesterday and you can tell that he enjoys that sense of community from friendships. Um, yeah, he was digging the ball and yeah, he was catching some line drives, but as much as anything, he loved that team dynamic. Um, but I would also like love to see the way that he challenges himself. Uh, I woke him up for camp this morning and he had his little nightlight on and he's sitting there reading. And like, you wouldn't have found 10 year old Jefferson <laughs> sitting in bed, reading a big thick it, it book, wasn't gonna happen. solving Rubik's cubes. That's, that's not what 10 year old Jefferson did. Uh, yeah. Um, but 10 year old Cadell is completely, uh, you know, a student in, in all things. Uh, but the hard work ethic that I hope I have in myself that I see in him, you know, he came off his first ever wrestling practice back in October and he was just dripping with sweat. And he looks me dead in the eye. He goes, dad, that was intense. But you could tell that he loved the intensity of it. And he loved the challenge of trying something new. Um, You know, again, their own little personalities. Uh, Sweet little Rennie is eight years old right now. And she is mischievous and she is clever. And she knows how to hit all the buttons and take it just to the line of too far. Um, but she also just loves to play. Her imagination is alive and well. And whether she's drawing or she's playing with whatever little dolls or animals or you can just see her create between her ears, which is really fun. Yeah. But the minute there's a friend outside in the backyard on the trampoline, she wants to play there too. So like watching that joy of play is pretty special right now. That's good. So are any of your kids going to be uh, a better athlete? than you were out of, out, out of the three of them. I hope so. Um, I don't think I ever defined myself by that role of being an athlete, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed the challenge in it. Um, and I can see the older two pushing themselves to reach that next level, whatever mm. the next level is. Uh, I see that, that ethic in them. Um, whereas like the third one, she's better than she realizes she is. Yeah. And I think once that for any one of them, it clicks to say like, uh, I can do more than I think I can. And I'm tougher than I realize I am. The sky's the limit. Yeah. So to, to, to the, to the new father or, or dad that may be listening right now. Um, no, no, let's do this. Tell me, uh, talk to the father who's not a father yet. Like, what was that like? for you when you first saw your firstborn as a, as a, as a dad, as so a man, many, what, were the, what were those, what was the emotions? Like, what was that like? Cause wait, here, here's the thing. They say that dads don't recognize that they're really fathers until like six months in. 
False. Right? Like False. But but that is what it said. They they say that because the woman's had the baby in her for so many months. <laughs> like she's carried the baby and then the father really hadn't had that experience. So they say the mother recognizes a lot quicker than the dad. So you say it's false. Well, I I think there's like a th- I think that's 30 questions that you asked me. So I'll try and chop up one, two or three of them. Yeah. Um as far as like it taking 6 months for the father to realize that he's that that's his role, that that's his job. Uh, I, I emphatically said false immediately because if I think if you're a good dad, if you're a good father, you've been there with your wife or expecting mother along the entire journey. Um, no, you haven't physically experienced the intimacy of growing a human in your body. Yeah. But if you've been by your wife's side, if you've been prayerful, if you've watched her like i was reading the books before we had our first kid and my wife was like stop reading the books you're knowing too much and like there were chapters i wanted to skip but she's like hey (laughs) hey you let me do the mom thing when we have the kid we'll we'll pick up from there right um you you were gonna ruin the experience by knowing too much before the baby comes i think i was on the cusp of like reading too much i don't know it's probably the only time i've ever been accused of reading too much uh but in that delivery room, I think you instantaneously feel the love for something that you and your wife and God have created. Like, my mom used to joke that, like, well, she didn't joke. She just said, I don't know how you can witness childbirth and not believe in God because it is indescribable. Wow. wow. Um, I did know a guy a while back that, like, we were just, I'll say gym acquaintances. I worked at the gym. He worked out at the gym. And I knew his wife and his older two kids really well. And they had the third kid. And then like every day for about two weeks, I was like, hey, Rob, how's the kid? Hey, Rob, how's how's the kid? And then after two weeks, he's like, Jefferson, stop asking me. Like it's a newborn. It doesn't do anything. But ask me in about six months and that newborn will start taking shape. And I'll be able to say, oh, Mm -hmm. they responded to this or they started to crawl or he threw food in my face or he like – so for Rob, he knew what to expect because it was the third child. Um, I think another question that you kind of lobbed in there on top of all the other really heavy ones is like, what would you say to a expecting father yeah. or not yet father? And it is it is the greatest job you could ever have, period. It is the greatest responsibility you will ever hold. I think a lot of parents say to their kids, um, you will never know how much I love you until you are a mom or a dad. And I think that, like, as a kid, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. roll your eyes, yeah. you cross your arms, yeah. you stomp out of the room. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you which kid stomps out of the room, but I've got <laughs> one that stomps out of the room. And we love them all so much. But that love that you have as a parent, as a protector, as a provider, as an example. You can it, never really. You you run out of words. Yeah. You can't. You can't describe it. For that it. honor. Yeah. For the honor yeah. that it is. The same way I'm honored to carry my father's last name, I am honored to give mm. my influence and the responsibility to my kids. Yeah. Because I just want them to grow up a little better each day. So growing up, boy, girl, do, do you feel a sense of a different type of parenting, girl versus boy? I mean, I think you can make the argument of boy versus girl. But I think it also goes back to the dynamic of you recognize that they all have their own personalities. Mm. So way maybe a, a firmer tone will get the desired result of a lesson learned with one kid, whereas uh, the raised voice or firm tone gets a completely different outcome with a different kid. Gotcha. So and I think, you know, not without like some big societal commentary, things change where do you want your 17-year-old daughter leaving for college early? Do you want your 17-year-old son leaving early for college? Is And I'm not for or against it. There's no, I'm not providing that commentary. But it's just interesting to see how you make those decisions differently for each child or where they may fall with among their peers. Uh, the benefit of why are we making these decisions? But to know that there is discernment or thought behind the decisions that you're making for your kid to go to camp or your kid to try out for sports for the first time or, yeah. you know, try an instrument or chess club. Like 
when's the right time and how do you meet them meet them there appropriately yeah so i'm not trying to start nothing here okay i'm not i'm just boy girl dating yes like do do you approach both the same when it comes to to uh to dating feel no, free to answer no yes oh no, yes. Or yes, no. Anyhow, okay. I think one of so you want dad advice. Yeah, yeah. Um one of the firmest lessons and I think he probably only said it once um that my dad shared with me as it related to the value of dating and we didn't have many conversations about dating, but he said I want you to respect every woman that you ever date with the same respect and reverence that you do your mother or sister. Mhm. He didn't have to break down what that was gotcha. because everyone that I was going to date was going to be somebody's daughter or sister. So it put those guardrails of respect in a different capacity. And I say this with the utmost respect, I couldn't imagine a better husband for my sister because her husband, Adam, they're 16, nearly 17 years of marriage as well. He treats my sister with such respect and reverence. That's how I'd want yeah. her to be respected in any relationship. So yeah, I'll definitely regurgitate those same words over my son. But I would conversely say to my daughters, everyone that ever dates you should treat you with the same respect that your brother or father treats you with, which is also puts the honest on me to say, I need to treat their mother, my beautiful bride, with the same respect and honor and holy sacrimony of marriage that I would want my daughters to be honored with. Gotcha. What about like in a sense, and then I hear you on that. I, I think there's definitely those all, that's all great. The actual dating part, as far as somebody knocking on the door, well, your son's going to go knock on somebody's door. He is going to knock on the door. He's, he's, gonna go knock he's on not the, honking the horn. He's not honking the he's horn. He's not texting he's gonna her. He's going to go knock here. on the door. Yeah. He's no. going to go knock on the he's door. He's going to shake the hand and make the eye contact with the dad. Somebody's going to come knock on your door. Yep. Are those the same age? I when hope those, so. When those things can happen for the girl versus the boy. Yes, I hope so. A, uh, disclaimer, uh, Miss <laughs> Kristen Joy Kilgore and I have not yet had those conversations <laughs> or set the boundaries see, that's for what, what that is to look like. Because marriage, my friend, is a partnership, so I'm not making any executive decisions today on the Eddie Coleman podcast. Uh, yeah, and I think the one thing that like – Now, we're just talking hypothetically. Like, we're just talking for fun. No, it's fun, and it's fun because we laugh about it because there's some truth there that makes me wiggle a little bit. Um, and it's proximate, right? Like I just said, she's 12. She'll be 13 next year. I, yeah, I don't know when, what dating would, could, should look like for yeah. her. But what I do know – is that it is worlds different from when I called some girl's house when I was in the eighth or ninth grade oh uh -huh. and her dad answered the phone and I had to politely ask Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so if I could speak to their daughter because now it's, it's all text yeah. and it's all, it's a different world that I don't understand. So true. Scary. So true. I never it's thought about it like that. Oh. I never thought about it. Like you don't have to call now. You just text somebody. So then you really don't go because you don't text the parents first. <laughs> Like, hey, you mind if I text your daughter? No, but I think, again, it's it's setting appropriate boundaries. So the same way I say, hey, look at your significant other as fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, hey, don't let that guy in your DMs. Don't add him to your snaps. I don't even know what snaps are. But don't add him in your snaps until you're ready to have a conversation with him. And, again, a friend I was talking to yesterday, he goes to school – I don't know, probably 30 minutes away from where his girlfriend goes to school. But because of social media, they started dating a year and a half ago. And good on them. Like, I'm sure they have a really healthy relationship. I'm sure their parents have set those boundaries yeah. because I know and I trust those parents um, to know that they've been intentional with those relationships. But in the game of you don't know what you don't know, uh, I, I want to know more and I want to set appropriate boundaries. Because again, as a father, I want to protect. Yeah. So if I don't set up the boundaries of what a healthy rela relationship looks like, I haven't provided the framework for my kids to have healthy relationships, be that with a significant other or just their circle of friends. Yeah. Because you can get bullied on Fortnite. You I mean, I don't bullied. get bullied on Fortnite because I don't play Fortnite, but it's my understanding. <laughs> but you can be bullied. 
It's my understanding. You bullied on Fortnite. So, you okay, I understand, like, you need to bring your wife into this. You, you're not giving out any, this is the sure thing, right? Yeah. But just us just talking real quick, and we're going to move on to the next thing. Like, do you feel comfortable saying that you would probably want your daughter to date later than your son? Like, I get that adage. And if I was like, okay, uh-huh. uh huh, I'm going to lock my daughters up in the basement until they're 32, <laughs> and then when they're 32, they can they can you know uh, go down to yeah. the to the square dance or a hoot nanny yeah. and and you know meet somebody at the at the social mixer. Yeah, you, I get I get the notion that you would want your daughters to abstain from dating until longer. But at the set, I said 32, not 40. No, mine's 40. Oh, 40. Okay. <laughs> That's for you and your daughter to figure out. That's not my concern. I'm much more liberal. 32. Um, but, you know, like, I, you know, I don't think that the double standard for relationships is, I don't think it honors either the son or the daughters. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's just a com- that's a common thing that people like to to talk about. Uh, but the truth be told, sometimes I don't. I think my, you know, sometimes the I won't say my kids particularly, but sometimes the girls are a little bit more mature than the boys, and probably should be holding off a little bit longer. Even though I think, like the way that it is brought to our attention as far as how we do those things based on the world, oftentimes is. The well, boys can date earlier than the girls. And not to be like loose with the term maturity, but I think you're right. I think that girls in darn near every sense of the word do become more mature more quickly. But if I understand correctly, and I'm no scientist, I told you my job is in hacky sacks and frisbees and fill in the blank, but I don't think the male mind fully develops until you're 25. Yeah. But you've got, you know, 12 and 15 and 18 year old boys thinking that they're men and it's yeah. whether you're the man in that relationship or the young lady we got a lot of growing up to do yeah for sure. we got a lot of growing up to do for sure for sure what what's the one thing like before your kids do leave the house that you want to like definitely make sure that they they understand as a father as a father what is that thing for you the importance of communication um the value of respect uh Hedy, you talk a lot about like and these are my understandings of what you share. So feel free to say, no, 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 you got it all wrong, my yeah, guy. Yeah. But it's like, I didn't realize all the little things that I just do almost without thought mm-hmm. that are either trying to serve our kids or serve my wife, their mother, that hopefully make a lasting impact. Whether that's making her coffee every morning or making her a shake for breakfast every day or making sure that the bed is made before we leave the house. Because if I can start by winning the morning, I can win the day because I've set those things up. I may be really good at making the bed first thing in the morning, but I'm terrible about doing the dishes at night. Yeah, Maybe, but hopefully my kids are watching these behaviors and realizing that I'm trying to serve them by making their lunch the night before or lay their backpacks out. Or, you know, this isn't a big gender norm conversation, but like, I'm happy to clean the floor and do the dishes and make the bed and fold the laundry. If that's one less thing that my wife has to do. And then in turn, she and I both get to spend more time with our kids in the family. It doesn't matter that, you know, Wally Cleaver and, and the Brady bunch did their way. We're going to do it the way that makes sense for our family because it honors our family. And if that means, you know, you you get the ice skating bag out the night before and you dry off the skates for your daughter so she can get to school on time, then that's just the little way that you serve others without even thinking about it. The same way that sending a text message of encouragement or stopping by your buddy Ben's bookstore honors that relationship because you care about them yeah. and you vote not just with your feet, but with your time. Yeah. Easier said than done. Oh, it, it all is <laughs> easier said than done. And you, so I jotted down the note of the book that you said is one of your two favorites. Yeah. And I don't conceive, I don't, I don't consume 
information by written word as often as I once did mm -hmm. because the convenience of having a computer in your pocket means I can listen to podcasts and books oh, yeah. all it's, day long. It's completely different. Yeah. I think it's a blessing and a curse, yeah. right? Yeah. I think there's value in it, but hopefully like my kids see and hear the content that I'm consuming to the point yesterday, my son goes, Hey dad, next song. And I'm like, I like this song. And he goes, did you not hear the word he just said? And I'm like, I didn't hear the yeah. word he just said. <laughs> he goes, well, I counted this one, this one, and this one twice. Yeah. I was like, you're right. Ne next song. Yeah, next song. Next, next song. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my son can name all nine members of the Wu-Tang Clan, <laughs> and it's hilarious as a party trick. But it's also like, you know, we're having fun with it. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, just because – just because you can name all nine members doesn't mean we get to listen to Cream yeah, on our way to school tomorrow. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. No, that's good. That is so good. Man, I think, you know, talking about being a dad, a father, um, you can't, you cannot not talk about your wife, right? And uh, if you're doing it right, if you're doing it right, in you my can't, opinion, in your opinion, then this is about you. Like we're, you're on the podcast, nobody else. It's just the two of us, so your opinion matters. But you know, uh, one of the things that I always say to people is like, um, "Man, good father and is is treating my wife." And I think you said you alluded to this earlier, as far as how your dad does with your mom, uh, laughing with her in the kitchen, dancing with her in the kitchen. Uh, we need being to dance polite. more. Yeah, like we you, need, regardless of how good of a dancer are, we should all dance more. Dance more, just let loose. Move like, your body. Yeah, move your body, let loose. But talk, talk to me about just what are some of those right things that you do uh, consistently in serving your wife or, or making sure you have a healthy marriage? I mean, so I kind of like, I, I didn't even allude. I just said, yeah, like make her coffee every morning, mm -hmm. make her breakfast every morning. Yeah. Um, she didn't ask me to do those things. But I saw an opportunity to serve her. Um, was it last night? Within the last two days, uh, I had a kid ask me, do you text mom every hour? And I'm like, sometimes a lot more and sometimes a lot less. But there are times in the year, maybe an anniversary, maybe a kid's birthday, where I like, I'll literally sex set a reminder that says, it's just an alarm. It goes off every hour. And every hour, I'll send a photo from when the kid was one or the kid was two or the kid was three. Or when we had our first anniversary or our 10th anniversary or our 15th anniversary. And I not only want her to know, I think it's a healthy practice for myself to know that I am thinking about her and our relationship all day, every day. Mm. I'll say like the same things. Like, have I mentioned today how much I love you? Well, it's a joke. And yes, also like a reminder, have I told you exactly how much you mean to me today? Yeah. Um, you know, there's silly hashtags like most dope wife or most dope family, or, um, I'm not going to say my wife's love language is cookie cake, but we like cookie cake yeah. and I don't even like icing, but my <laughs> wife and my kids love cookie cake and icing. So like to the part where I'll walk into the target store and the lady at the cookie counter laughs at me cause she knows I'm going to say something ridiculous on this cookie cake. Yeah. And I love that they will write anything I want them to on a cookie cake cause it's hilarious. Yeah. But it's those little things. And, you know, you asked about like when we first started dating, um, she is studious and she is a hard worker. And as a structural engineering student, she often found herself working very late at the architecture studio. Mm. Um, and those, you know, there's for safety and security, those doors are locked. So I'd leave a note on her car. And here we are 17 plus years later, and I'm still leaving notes on her car, on her mirror next to her coffee, just those little things that remind her and my kids now how much they mean to me. And mm -hmm. it's like, I left one of those notes. I owed my son an apology. Um, we were running late for soccer practice and it was kind of my fault and it was kind of GPS's fault. But at the end of the day, that's, I was frustrated with myself that we drove around needlessly for 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. And I'm a guy who loves to be on time. I had a professor in college that said, if you're not five minutes early, you're 10 minutes late. Yeah. And now we weren't just five minutes early. We were really 10 minutes late. But my behavior was not what I wanted to see in myself. So I left my son a note 48 hours later with an apology about who I want to be for him mm. as a father. And then he drew a really funny photo or picture and he put it under my pillow and he left me a note. Um, 
so it's you know whether it's the cookie cake or in our house we'll we'll call them just because gifts yeah. and they're not big gifts it could be a rubik's cube yeah it could be a kid's book it could be a little earring or a candle or anything that just says hey i was thinking about you you matter to me here's a just because gift that's legit that's legit no way it just it just seems right. Yeah, yeah. To tell no. people how much they mean to you, right? I love it. I love it. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure in that 51 minutes, 52 minutes, 53 minutes, however long that was, you definitely can pull away something that you've learned. And I'm definitely inspired. I love I love um, the importance of just letting people know that they matter and that's starting in your home and that probably carries over out of your home. I love the example Jefferson talked about of how he loves his wife and treats her in front of his kids. I think that's a big part, a big part of fathering and being a dad. If you're married in, in your relationship to uh, the mother of your children, uh, I think that's important. But if not, if you're not married, still important to be treating them, them good. And so Jefferson, any last thoughts before we, 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 we shut, shut the, uh, shut off the, the, the stop button on this thing. No, I mean, I think, I think we've talked about it both directly and indirectly. Like it's just how you show up and serve others in all those little ways and all the people who have had an impact or an impression on your life, whether that was a boss or a neighbor or a friend, um, just because they're no longer your boss, just because they're no longer your professor or your neighbor doesn't mean that they stop having an impact in your life or that you have to stop having an impact in their life. Um, so yeah, you want to be your best and your brightest as a you know, good dude and great dad for your immediate family and that's where your highest priority should be. Yeah. But the same way that you 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 wave at the person at the park or you extend that kindness in each and every capacity, just do the right thing and love others well. Yeah, for like, sure. It should be simpler to be kinder all the time. Yeah. So good. So good. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hitting that play button for another episode of the Hetty Coleman podcast. And as always, as always, ladies and gentlemen, go win. Go win.